Before we get started for this week's show, we'd like to thank you all for tuning in with a special shout out to those who support us on Patreon. We'll give you the link at the end of the show, but while there is little on-field action, there are still so many stories to share. A shout out to our newest patron, Ryan Morgan, known as Ryan on Cricket on Twitter, who has signed up to our Patreon content. From just $2 US a month as a patron, you can access extended podcasts and other bonus content and keep an eye out at EmergingCricket.com and our various social channels and make sure to give us a five-star rating and if you can, a review wherever you are listening to the show. We have another belter coming up for you this week as we chat to PNG all-rounder Norman Vanua in part two of our special with him and we catch up on some more cricket news from around the world. Thank you once again for joining us at the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Beswick, or as I would say in Vanuatu, Nemblong me, Daniel Beswick. We are trying to get in to our Bislama with the Vanuatu T10 blast underway as you do listen to this podcast. But before we get onto that and other news around the cricket world, it's time to say hello to the other two-thirds of the Emerging Cricket Podcast. First, our favourite left-arm orthodox spinner, Tim Cutler. Tim, how are you? I'm very well, Daniel. Good to be here. Not much to update uh, different to last week, similar to everyone else who's listening. So glad that we can bring this to everyone. But uh, how are you, sir? I hear you've got a, a big appointment tomorrow at a very interesting time. Yeah, I've got a dentist appointment at 2.30, which, <laughs> uh, yeah, every single dad around the Emerging Cricket Podcast listening circle is uh, giggling to themselves. But <laughs> no, yeah, I'm not looking forward to that, especially coming off the last week where the regulations in terms of social distancing and lockdown have been a little bit more relaxed and it's meant that I've potentially indulged in some food and drink which uh isn't exactly great for the pearly whites so i'm not looking forward to that but apart from that uh things are good we've got another great great chat with norman vanua coming up part two but before we discuss that and other news around the pod uh it is time to introduce the third member of the ec podcast better known on twitter as copernicus cricket nick skinner nick how are you well, I'm, I'm getting a bit worried now because uh, you, you and Tim have both had these uh, tooth problems and I've been scoffing bickies all day. So now now I think I have to go brush my teeth. <laughs> oh, I've been giving them a floss after every brush for the last week because I'm, I'm paranoid. You know that that's not how it works, <laughs> yeah. Daniel. You know, it's not all damage of the last week. You got you to fake it till you make it. And did you make this appointment because there was already something else going on or is this a checkup? No, no, no. I, I've said this. This has been a recurring, a, a recurring appointment since I was about seven years old so I've been I've been a good boy over the over the course of my uh 12 years <laughs> anyway enough about that boys we've got plenty of news to discuss and we've got part two of our chat with Norman Vanua coming up I don't want to oversell it boys but I think part two is as good as part one if not a little better so if you haven't listened to part one make sure to catch up with that as well but we have some live cricket to talk about with the Vanuatu T10 Blast underway. Uh, where do we start, boys? We've got a telecast partner in Ruta. <laughs> Sorry. Bet Barter is the uh, official wagering partner as well. Uh, to talk about the league, three teams uh, over five days of T10 action. I've got a special treat for us uh, for everyone at home. And 
our sound effects at the podcast have been limited to, well, the intro and outro music. Thanks a lot to Red Gazelle. Shout out to them. But I've got some new sound effects here. And it's the crinkling of paper because I've got myself an Emerging Cricket podcast draw for us to work out which team the three of us are going to support in the Vanuatu T10 Blast. Let's do that first and then we'll talk about the league uh, and, and preview it for everyone at home. Uh, who wants to go first, Tim or Nick? No, Nick can go ahead of me. I've taken his spot in the batting order, so he, he can go. <laughs> okay, okay, that's fair. Okay, so I've got a very elaborate uh, draw here. It's just a mug with some paper in it, but... Here we go. Nick, you will be supporting the mighty Afate Panthers, Ooh. ready to attack on land and water. Congratulations, <laughs> Nick. Oh, I've got, oh, geez, looking good for me here. <laughs> now, Tim is looking out for one particular team, and I'm hoping for his sake that he gets it here. So here we go, Tim, you're up. Here we go. He always gets what he wants at home. <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. Okay. Tim. Oh. You've got the Ephira Sharks. Yes. Congratulations, Tim. You got your wish. Don't swim in shark-infested waters. Come on, those sharkies. And that would mean, assuming that the draw was done correctly by yours truly, I have the MT Bulls. Bulls rule this land. I'm keen, boys. Uh, some more live cricket over five match days over the next couple of weeks. It began on Thursday, so... In the beauty of podcasting, uh, when this drops, match day one will already be in the books. What do we think about our respective teams now that we've been given the draws? We've got the squads. We've basically done our little bit of research. We've got our preview for the entire tournament up on the Emerging Cricket website. So if you missed out on having a look at that, make sure to check it out. Nick, I'll start with you. Great to have T10 Cricket on our screens once more. Some live action. Three strong teams, all with a smattering of international senior and under-19 talent. It's going to be a great tournament, and, and I'm looking forward to watching it, as are you. Yes, very keen for, for some more live cricket after the success of their uh, women's T20 day the uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm, I'm pretty jealous that you pulled the bulls because you've got uh, Patrick Matautava, so I think that's uh, basically a cheat code at this level. But um, yes, looking forward to seeing Josh Rasu get going. He's played a bit for the national team and um, has had some success. And it'll be interesting to see some of the younger guys come through as well. So yes, very keen to, to get a look at some emerging Vanuatu talent. Tim, looking at your mighty Afira Sharks. Uh... Oi. Only the Panthers are mighty. They're just plain old Afira Sharks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Look, it, it, it completely escaped me. But, Tim, looking at your excellent Afira Sharks, a couple of senior national team players and some under-19 talent as well. The current captain, the newly appointed Nelly Nipico, leading the side there. How do you see this T10 league playing out in terms of streaming? We saw 450,000 people watch the T20 women's finals. A lot of moving parts here in the preparation for this league, but a lot of strong partners backing this league. How successful can it be and how much will it improve the the visuals of, of associate cricket and the profile of associate cricket because you it's, it's a relatively empty calendar of sport and it's a good chance for Associate Cricket to get their name out there, albeit in a domestic league. Well, I do have one of the silkiest batters in Associate Cricket, Nipico, so I'm looking forward to that one. Jay Dancing Arnie's favourite cricketers. I think he's one of those players that make Jay um, create silly noises when, he, when he's watching him bat. But <laughs> while we saw the quality that they put out on, on Anzac Day being done by the host broadcaster there, first time they'd ever broadcast cricket, and having been involved in that in the past of, of training or having people broadcasting cricket for the first time, I reckon they'll pick it up even, even quicker. And we saw great quality last time. And with the investment that's come via those names that you mentioned and to see it on, I, I've never heard of Rooter Sports before, but... 
they apparently have 10 million people on their platform and it's all very focused on uh, user-generated content. So I'm intrigued to see how that all that all work out. They're talking about interactivity with the players between matches and whatnot, which is going to be great exposure for the personalities involved. You know, Vanuatu are the, um, the self-awarded coolest cricket team in the world. And I guess this is their chance to show it to everybody. And I just hope that hybrid wicket holds up. You know, hybrid wicket's a little bit different to what everyone else is going to be used to of seeing cricket being played on with a, a mud uh, overlay synthetic grass, and which is then mud and clay, I should say, which is then rolled and can be reused over and over, and doesn't doesn't wear away, but it, it lasts as long as the as the clay holds together. So I think there's been a few people ask why there are so few games and whether they could get more games in, but I think that's probably more reflective of the conditions and making sure that the wicket of which they'll only be playing on one of them um, will be able to hold up to have the same quality of of play the whole way through. But yep, I'm happy with my Sharkies. Yeah, to run through the dates quickly. The 21st of May, Thursday was match day one. Uh, more action on the Saturday, the 23rd and Saturday, the 30th of May before they move into June, the 6th of June. And then the finals day is on the 13th of June. There's one more round robin match on that last day and then a final in the afternoon. Looking at the way it's it's being set up and, and we saw the way that they streamed the action uh, for the Women's T20 day and they did a, a pretty decent job. Great level of, of viewers across the day. Nick, it, it is a little bit tricky because they're still in their, in their relative infancy in broadcasting cricket to the masses coming off a pretty successful tournament a couple of weeks ago how important is it to consolidate there and build potentially with this men's t10 tournament yeah it's it's definitely um as we've said before you know vanuatu doesn't really get that much time in the uh, the international cricketing spotlight so it's great that they've got this opportunity I'm, I'm interested to see how it goes with the you know these companies coming in with the rights but i guess they'll have to do everything remotely because you know obviously they can't send staff to vanuatu at the moment so uh, potentially i don't know you'll you'll have uh, I guess local Vanuatu people operating all the all the stuff in Vanuatu and then I guess sending it back to, to head office maybe or yeah I, I don't know I'm, I'm intrigued to see the I guess logistical side of this all, all working out yeah with the stream being backed by a, a betting company I think for it to have value to the the betting world and the fantasy world you need to be getting a, a low latency stream out that has a, a delay of, of less than a couple of seconds so yeah there's going to be some technological know-how chatting to a few people involved they're already playing planning which satellites they're going to be positioning and, and well accessing above Vanuatu <laughs> to get it out at pace. Um, to see it on on Router Sports, I just hope that this is going to be available for everybody to watch and it's not going to be behind a paywall or an app wall that's going to make it really difficult for people to be watching wherever they wherever they want to. Yes, these companies have paid for it, but part of this is also to give the game in Vanuatu exposure as well. So I'm just hoping that everybody will have the, the chance to watch it. And it's not like a lot of us will have too much else on it and other things uh, in the way of us potentially watching this. So to Vanuatu and everyone at Cricket Vanuatu, it's thank you to us uh, from us. <laughs> I wanted to just highlight a couple of players who uh, might potentially explode in this tournament and it'd be, it would be very easy for us to mention a lot of the, the senior national team guys as, as some of the more notable players, but doing a little bit of research and, and putting in a bit of a preview for the tournament, there are a couple of players who I'm very interested to see how they go because they're not quite as well known, but they've performed well at the domestic Vanuatu level. A couple of players from your mighty Panthers, Nick, uh, Edward 
Calfal uh, is a player that I've sort of looked at as potentially a bit of a difference maker for them. But looking at the at the Sharks, Walford Kalwara and Gilmoy Kaltonga, there haven't been two names that have stuck out in the senior national team, but playing for the, the Sharks, they've got great credentials in, in Vanuatu domestic cricket. So potentially a, a couple of players there to look out for. I know that Dream 11 and in fantasy cricket is, is very much uh, in the public eye with these tournaments with not a lot of other cricket on. So I'm sure a lot of people are, are looking for potentially a couple of tips there and just one more tip boys and I'm not saying this just because I've drawn them out but I think the MT Bulls are going all the way and taking out the Vanuatu T10 Blast. I'll tell you what we've got to find uh, a way Jim Condon help us out here get us I think we've got to get a shirt for each of these sides I know we're not going to get it by the uh, the start of the tournament but uh, Shane Dietz um, while you're doing everything else playing international cricket um assisting with the coaching, um, doing the commentary, doing the toss, and doing uh, multi-million dollar rights deals. Like, can you send us a shirt each as well, please? Triple um, XL at the moment. Sorry, Mum. <laughs> I'll take a medium, but it is amazing. Just A medium, boys? <laughs> a medium men's. Thank you, Timothy. Just because you're six foot in heaps doesn't mean, you know, everyone else is, is small. Maybe to you. <laughs> It is amazing how many hats uh, Shane Dietz wears in, in Vanuatu cricket. I don't think there's anything that goes on in Vanuatu without going across his desk just quietly. Shall we talk about Burundi? Because oh, that's not a sentence you hear every day. <laughs> no. And yeah, as Nick, you point out, it's not something you hear every day in international cricket. But we do have a T10 league in Burundi, which has already started. There was very little promotion in regards to this and also very little uh, in the way of streaming. But there are matches going on. The key talking point of this is, though, that the matches are starting very, very early in the morning, which does suggest that they are being put in those exact time slots for a subcontinental fantasy and betting market. Looking also to St. Vincent, there's a T10 tournament going on there where matches are also starting at an early time in the morning, perhaps to appeal to the same market. Nick, I want to ask you, are we moving into some dangerous territory here? Because it looks as if if we're only appealing to a subcontinental market and their interests, how beneficial is it to the game in these respective places where the cricket is being held and development there. Yeah, I mean, I think in in terms of the the start time, it's probably not a huge issue because presumably they're not getting you know massive massive crowds uh, domestically, and and so you know starting in the morning. I mean, it's annoying for the players to have to get up early, but it's it's not the worst thing. More broadly, though, you know, if you're looking at this situation where they're um, I don't know they've got stars in their eyes from presumably a, a lot of money going their way and you, you you do hope that they're not putting the cart before the horse in terms of um, keeping their eye on the on the domestic scene and trying to build cricket there rather than uh, take the cash one sort of ethical question that I have is that you know gambling in India is still uh, largely illegal so it's it's a it's an interesting sort of quandary that these leagues are being set up to appeal to betting markets in India which is sort of playing cricket in order to fuel an illegal activity somewhere else. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, but, yeah, it's 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 an interesting one. And obviously they, they want the money, but, you know, you, you don't want to be jumping into bed with operators who, who might be a, a bit unscrupulous. And, and there are certainly people um, with shady reputations involved in subcontinent gambling. So, I mean, you, you talk about sharks and shark-infested waters. I would be very careful uh, getting involved with uh, with these gambling companies, and, and I hope they know what they're doing. 
Well, let's not forget it's not only going to betting markets in that there are companies like Dream 11 and Play 11, all these other fantasy teams, fantasy leagues that are legal because they're, I think, deemed to be games of skill. And that's one way that, well, to get around those laws. And But these are huge multi-million dollar companies now. One of them is a partner of the ICC. And there's also the, I wouldn't say inevitability, but there's an assumption or at least an expectation in the market that sports betting will be made legal across all the states of India in the, in the not too distant future. But it's a fair point about who they're with and what exposure this gives. But if you look at it from the other point of view, that people are paying for this that weren't otherwise. And as long as you're dealing with reputable companies and you have the right type of integrity protections around the team, this is getting exposure to associate cricket it's never had before. And it's getting to a, a market um, and eyeballs that have never watched associate cricket before. So you know, if you look at it that way, it, it, it could see a new boon in associate cricket or transnational competitions between associate nations that uh, had never really been backed before by broadcasters but I guess time's only going to be the uh, the judge of that as to whether other sports once they come back online take the limelight or whether you never know they might be coming out a new niche. I know that a lot of people would probably sit there and think that gambling at this stage is a rather tenuous link to emerging cricket but we've seen over the years and with more international cricket being played and being streamed and I remember Peter Delapena had a great chat with Hamza Tariq about mm. him being approached for several tournaments about potential spot fixing and stuff like that so it means that the question becomes a little bit more pertinent in emerging circles but Tim and I know you answered this almost at the end of your last chat just before but if you were to regulate gambling and to make it legal and to bring it all above board surely that would be beneficial in regards to opening up potential income revenue streams for cricket as a whole absolutely yeah and i'm not saying it's right because other people are doing it but full member nations are making a lot of money from their partnerships and i don't think that's the bad thing um the betting markets are there and, and again we've talked about the part that sport plays in this and it's not for sport to be necessarily leading the charge in trying to drive and you know taking betting out of out of the markets but if sport is able to partner with it and actually work with the tide rather than against it especially cricket cricket has had its issues and is continues to have its issues with corruption and especially in its uh, emerging fringe um, the sooner emerging nations are more aware of these markets and know how to deal with them and have those protections in place then, then absolutely it's, it's opening up a market but let's not kid ourselves this is also going to be opening up you know the double-edged sword situation here where with exposure comes uh, unscrupulous people watching who who want to try and manipulate results and we'll be trying to get in touch. So that's the situation that we're going to be in. A lot more people are going to be watching and therefore a lot more people are going to be wanting to gamble on it. And I just hope that Vanuatu and the ICC have thought about this and make sure, like we like we said, there are protections in place. Yeah, and I mean, on the other side of the coin, you know, Peter De La Pena, you mentioned there, Bez, has spoken in the past about how he partly got into cricket through gambling and, and he was, um, you know, looking at things to bet on and that helped him learn the game and... and um, I think it's a genuine way that people do get interested in sports is, you know, start putting money on it and then they, you know, fall in love with the game. And so so I'm not saying, you know, gambling's all bad and should never happen or, you know, any of that sort of stuff. I, just as, as you say, Tim, we need to be very careful with it in, in just in terms of um, which operators we uh, get involved with and, and in terms of protecting the players. And this is something that comes up quite a lot i mean it's it's, it's always been a problem for cricket you know uh, jake perry released a, an excerpt from his book about wg grace playing in scotland and you know 
even in WG Grace's time, there were gambling scandals, and, and I think Grace was involved in in some gambling stuff uh, himself. So you know, it's it's always been a part of cricket, and I think attempting to to pretend that it's not part of cricket is. Uh, delusional. So we need to figure out how to deal with it. And, and as you say, you know, making it legal and, and bringing it out into the light, I think is, is probably the, the best way of doing that. That's all the news we have for now. Keep up with all the news at EmergingCricket.com. But in the meantime, here's part two of our chat with PNG all-rounder Norman Vanua. I think even on the field and you guys even playing international cricket, it looks like you guys are having the most fun out of everyone out there. Energetic in the field, you guys pride yourselves on being excellent fielders. We saw the celebrations at the T20 World Cup qualifier when you guys were actually on the terrace watching, was it the Netherlands, Scotland and finding out that you guys had had qualified for the World Cup. I actually want to go back and talk about the United ground in Vintook when you guys achieved ODI status at World Cricket League 2 last year. It was completely different. Like You guys were watching on a stream on mobile phones at the United ground <laughs> watching the USA versus Canada. I'm just a huge fan of reliving that day. You know, we've just come past the one year anniversary of that day and talking to guys about it and seeing you guys out that, that night celebrating it as well. <laughs> it was incredible. Let's start... From that morning, you guys were in last place. You know, the net run rate was almost irrecoverable. Well, we thought it was irrecoverable. You come up against Oman, who are the undefeated team at the tournament up until that point. You go into bat first. You guys are 5 for 32. And we know that you guys almost bat all the way down. But, you know, you've lost half of your wickets for, for not many runs. And then you guys come out and put up a competitive total. And things start to happen. You know, Nasana Pakana takes a bunch of wickets. You guys clean up Oman. And, uh, you know, we know the story by the end of it. What was the mood at the start of that day? Because I'm sure you guys were thinking, you know, you guys needed something incredible to happen that day for, for you guys to finish in the top four. Um, I think that it didn't start that way. I think it started after the game we played against um, Canada, where we just literally shut all the doors in the dressing room and just did, did some soul searching. Everyone came out saying what they would. It wasn't even to do with things to do with cricket. And yeah, I think when the boys started to open up and said stuff about what they're going through and why some players weren't playing to the best, uh, what they were expected to play. I think that sort of awakened something that was in us where we thought we didn't have and the belief that started from there. And honestly, after that day, we all went out for dinner. I mean, we all went out for dinner every night, but that night was just different. We sort of bonded as a group. We didn't really say much, but the vibe around the group was way, way better when we started the tournament compared to that night. And that morning was just unbelievable, to be honest. Even though we were 5 for 30 odd, there is no sense of panic. Everyone still stayed positive. And then that partnership with Kipling and Sessa pretty much saved us from another disaster, I'd say. But yeah, I think just putting our mindset together and believing that we could achieve the un- unachievable, I'd say, with the net run rate we needed to achieve. And against the team, as you said, who hadn't been beaten in the tournament was a really, really tough um, task to take out. But yeah, I think the belief that we just had, then it was all or nothing. We had nothing to lose. I mean, we had everything to lose, but more to gain if we had achieved it. And yeah, I think Nas coming in and bowling the way he did in that game and taking nothing away from him, he bowled really well the whole tournament. I think it goes to show that when you believe in what you want to achieve, anything's possible. 
even with a net run rate like that. <laughs> it was something like a 145 run victory, which was incredible i remember being next to tim we were at the, the hong kong namibia game and, and just looking at it in disbelief you know are they going to actually pull this off and then you guys actually just waiting around watching the streams on the on the mobile mobile phones what was the buffering like you know did you uh, namibian internet <laughs> did, did you just find yourself disconnected with the dodgy namibian you know 3g wi-fi situation there what was that like they have they have 3g now <laughs> <laughs> no no comment that was a tough gig wasn't it um it was the most anxious um, time of my life I'd say um, I think I grew a couple of white days back then <laughs> but then uh, I think the Netflix just played up the whole day but it was good the previous days but then the last day the la- on the day it just for some reason didn't want to connect so we'd watch the scores and then click update but wouldn't load and wait for a few minutes and it load and then we're like oh they need this they need this and then pretty much everyone said everywhere a few boys stuck together i pretty much walked to the other side of the field and sat there by myself and honestly just started praying to god and i just like if there's a miracle going to happen today this would be it and i literally kept playing uh i think they need five runs again and i hit refresh and oh, i just couldn't refresh <laughs> and it was the most nerve-wracking partner like i didn't come all this way to not see this <laughs> thing go down and then kept pressing refresh refresh and then as soon as i hit refresh the last time it lowered and i, I saw the score and i turned around and i saw the boys jump up and I literally just stood up from where I was sitting, ran across the fields with my hands up in the air and just shouting, we've done it, boys, we've done it, boys. Yeah, as you, as you guys said earlier on, um, with our feeling, we actually really pride ourselves on feeling. I reckon it's the one skill we have that makes us different from other teams. I know our betting and bowling still has a long way to go, but I reckon our feeling is the one thing that keeps us in most games. And even with the game against Oman, I think our feeling actually kept us in the game with all those classic catches and stuff by Tony. And yeah, I think just the ground fielding with our in-ring fielders who are just unbelievable the way, uh, with the way they move to the ball and stuff. So yeah, we really pride ourselves on our fielding standards and the way we go about it. We spend a lot of time on it too, so don't get me wrong. Well, yeah, you, you could see that. And I remember actually talking to Kipling Dariga in Vintook. I think it was that night or maybe the night after. And he was showing us like the, the blisses on his feet from keeping for, for so long and how sore he was and how much he, the passion that came out of his you know from his voice telling us you know why we did this he said it's the Australian mindset he's like we have the Australian mentality of never give up and it was honestly I I will never ever forget it I remember just sitting there I think it was in in London bar or whatever (laughs) surprised you remember (laughs) yeah but no Kipling you know he reinforced to me and SP who was there you know one of the guys we met in Namibia he's like it's the Australian mindset he said never give up we never gave up and you know we're the best fielding team in the in the competition I think he had a run out and a couple of catches in that game as well for memory. I think he got four catches and a run out. Unbelievable. Pretty good day. Yeah. A few runs. And, and a few runs, yeah. 80-odd, yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure another batter still got the man of the match, though. Batter's <laughs> game. <laughs> yeah, we were pretty surprised when Noss didn't get the man of the match award. Even the Oman um, team manager asked why Noss hadn't got the um, man of the match award. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, Captain Scott, a few runs, took a few catches and a run out. So, yeah. See, it's, it's all, see, the poor bowlers here. <laughs> We are. I think that's. I think that was thoroughly deserved. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, maybe that that was something that called for joint yeah. player of the match. You know, 
Yeah, I reckon. It's not like you're giving a million bucks. And I know that it will sit in Crick Info forever. <laughs> but there, there you go. Guys, have a, have a seven cent medallion each. I'm sure there was a game that India played not too long ago where they gave out two man of the match awards. N- nor are the scores, you know, from that Namibia game that should have been <laughs> yes. 398 and, you know, they ended up making it 396 and taking runs away from Zane Green. But not that it would be for anyone on this podcast that went through the stream in the scorecard ball by ball to correct them. But... <laughs> <laughs> it is funny though, you know. Imagine if that happened in in perhaps the Canada USA game or the Papua yeah. New Guinea game, where the net run rate comes down to one or two runs, and you, and you wonder, you know, if they made the same mistake there, what what might have happened? Well, that's almost as bad as the mistake of me on the stream writing PNG off when they were five for thirty two. I think I actually read the eulogy for PNG's chances of getting back into the top flight and getting back ODI status. I think I'm not sure that you join me there, Bez. I think you let me dig my own my own grave there <laughs> well this is the thing I think the night before I predicted PNG would have this miraculous comeback but that was before they were 5 for 32 and I remember being with you after finding out and I think I agreed at that point I said oh if they do it from here it's going to be one of the greatest achievements in sport let alone in cricket I don't see that in your uh, your commentary clips that you put together <laughs> for your sizzle uh, piece on YouTube getting you getting your jobs but uh, yeah it was one of those amazing days I, I always thought going to World Cricket League 2 in 2019 saying geez well nothing can beat World Cricket League 2 in 2018 when Nepal got home they were dead and buried also against Canada <laughs> I wasn't I, I wasn't going to point Karan KC happened yeah, Karen Casey. And, you know, Sandeep normally looks like he's using a bat that's nine times too big for him, but he <laughs> did the job at the other end, holding the other end up while uh, Karen Casey did the business. But that was just an amazing last day. And, to, you know, that's what happens when you've got cricket with context. And, you know, I, I don't need to say it. You know, Norman's already talked about it. You know, you've got players playing for their careers. You know, they don't win that game at that, that level. There are jobs being lost. And I think uh, Chad Soper said it in the piece as well when, when you interviewed him, Bez. You know, that's what's on the line in associate cricket. But, you know, I know we don't need to go too deep into that one, but that particular day at World Cricket League too, I'd, wow. Yeah, a lot was at stake and we we knew what was at stake. So I think when you realise what's at stake, you tend to bring out the best in you and you play fearlessly in a way. So yeah, that was a really good day to remember. I uh, I don't know if I actually slept that night. Oh, I can imagine that, yeah, the nervous energy must have just been pumping through you. Yeah. I just want to run around with my arms in the air, you know, where can I run? <laughs> <laughs> Who can I hug? <laughs> yeah. Fun times. Um, I think that sort of set the tone for us leading on. I mean, didn't really look the way we pictured it with our first eight games in the um, League 2. But I think to finish it off with qualifying for the T20 World Cup sort of really put into perspective what we have been working hard for and what our lives can be in the future if we actually really do well in this World Cup. Yeah, you guys found it a little bit tricky in, in World Cricket League 2 so far, but the consolation is that you guys have a lot of time to, to make up for that, assuming we get a whole competition in afterwards, which I think we will. Uh, you guys haven't had the chance to play at home yet, and I'm sure that you guys will make Amini Parker a fortress. What was it like travelling in, in those portions of the tournament? Uh, was Scotland in Florida? Uh, Scotland was pretty cool. <laughs> even though it was their summer button <laughs> I think just the way we played on that wicket where we sort of thought the wicket in Scotland would play the same as it would in um, New Zealand where it was a bit quicker and stuff but then to be honest even the Scottish boys didn't even know how to play 
playing the wicket. But um, I think us adjusting to new conditions and the wicket itself is the major key factor to how we um, played all the matches. And <laughs> obviously, we didn't win any matches. But I think we took a lot out of that. And I think these home games that are coming up are ones where we can actually make up for the games that we've lost and to put Cricket PNG in a contest to finish top three in this league. And hopefully, we've seen no other way but to finish first in this league. So, yeah, top three would be great, but finishing first would be another miracle in the making after losing eight games in a row. Well, the advantage here is that, you know, you may have lost eight in a row, but you've got another 28 ODIs to go, which, wow, you know, you can say that out loud and that's a lot. And that's a lot of opportunity to, to come back. And I would not be surprised to see the, the barriers turn around. I know we've talked about it on this, on this pod before, looking at the results and seeing the way that you guys have come through those two years, you know, after the, the World Cup qualifier. And as you say, making a mini park a, a fortress. Yeah, I, I can see that that happening. There's still a, a lot of road to run, especially with some teams who haven't played much cricket at all. And I think that's the great thing about this tournament. There's going to be really sort of winding road and so many different narratives going on. I just hope that they're able to fit it all in before the, the 2022 World Cup qualifier for the, the, the World Cup the next year, because that's what I fear that after the coronavirus that we're going to see the Super League. You know, we've seen Ryan Campbell be, be interviewed, not by us, thanks Cambo, um, <laughs> talk about how that'll negatively affect Dutch cricket if that's canned but I also look at all the pathway tournaments leading to the World Cup and also to the T20 World Cup if that's all compressed that really takes away a lot of the, the narrative and the story and the chance for you guys especially to get it back yeah that's true it's a setback obviously but in a way we're still thinking ahead that we will eventually play all these matches that are sanctioned to play and if they've been postponed and to be squeezed into one year or two then so be it but yeah we're just trying to keep a positive mindset not to use this COVID thing as a setback oh, yeah. um, you mentioned the, the point about adjusting to conditions and you know being in Scotland and the, the pitch wasn't quite what you're expecting um, you know one of the things about uh, I guess bigger cricketing countries is there is some variety in, in the pitches and it's easier to prepare for that sort of thing so in, in a country where you know you guys have I think one or two turf pitches in, in the whole country you know how do you try and prepare for different conditions in, in that sense because you obviously don't have multiple pitches to you know to simulate the conditions I think we do a lot of research in groups as Bathurst and Bowers and we try to take into consideration how the wicket's going to play or we even um, with the research and stuff we try to see what the pitches will play like um, but to be honest, when we in Scotland, even the Scottish boys, as I said, didn't even know why the wicket was playing that way. And it's been a while since they played on the ground and yeah. But in saying that, I think just adapting as quickly as possible. It took us a few games to adapt to it, but I think by then the other teams are way ahead of us in knowing how the wicket played. And yeah, with only having one or two pitches here in PNG, it's it's pretty tough on us to know how wickets will play in certain conditions and stuff. And I think that's one thing we're still trying to our best to improve on is to get to know how wickets and which type of wickets in which countries play in certain way and stuff. Yeah, it was, it was true. I remember watching the stream for that and seeing a lot of turn in Scotland, which is something that I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have seen. And talking about maybe uncharacteristic wickets around the world, I, I think too in the T20 World Cup qualifier, a couple of the, 
the wickets there were actually a little bit more conducive for fast bowling, a little bit better for fast bowling. You guys really seized the initiative in the T20 World Cup qualifier. I think you guys were the first team to, to qualify out of everyone there. What was the feeling, you know, in that group? Was there something special, you know, about to happen there? Did you guys know that you were about to achieve something fantastic? Because it looked like you guys had everything ready to go and you guys were prepared and, and you looked very, very comfortable playing in, in UAE in that qualifier. Yeah, um, after being to UAE a couple of times, um, I think the boys knew how the wicket to play and stuff. And the grounds that we played on in the qualifiers were grounds that we usually play on. So we're sort of familiar how what conditions or which wickets would play in certain ways. And yeah, I think um, we did a lot of research on what ways we could go about certain games on which grounds we were playing. And I think that worked out well for us, knowing that if we had a bouncy wicket, we bring on our pace bowlers and attack. Because we're really familiar to the Australian conditions we don't do too well with um, spin I think when we played on fast bouncy wickets we just went all out attack on pace but then we sort of adjusted well compared to Scotland we sort of knew if it was pretty much what we should do or who to bring on and yeah our tactics worked out pretty well in Dubai well I'd like to talk a little bit about some of your uh, personal performances <laughs> we, finally, we finally got here mm-hmm. <laughs> look at the smile coming out <laughs> bowling batting what what can't the man do <laughs> yeah no, no need to be modest here Norman um, in the first First game against Bermuda, you picked up a hat trick in that crunch match against Kenya, where you know you qualified. You scored fifty four to rescue the team after a collapse, and then um, in the semi final, you, you picked up a couple of big wickets and, and hit some big blows at the end as well. So, what is it about the big occasion that that gets you fired up, Norman? I love competitive um, cricket. An example, when I play Hong Kong, I know I have to put on a best style because even though I'm made to them, there's always a rivalry to see if you can do well against your art rivals. But yeah, um, I think I live for the big games. It brings the best out to me cricket-wise and even personally. It brings out more discipline and I think awareness of what's going around and stuff. Before that game against Bermuda, I think we played Namibia in a warm-up match and they needed, I think it was 34 runs in the last over. And yeah, they scored 34 runs off me in that game and I think that really put me in a sense on what I needed to work on. To be honest, I don't think my teammates were happy with me and I don't blame them for it. As a senior member of the team I actually took it upon myself to do better and I actually didn't know if I was going to play in the Bermuda game but thankfully I did and I just knew what I could do the days leading up to it, the way I trained, the way I ate to whatever I did was just something I couldn't think of if certain things had happened before that game and came the day where we played Bermuda I was just switched on I didn't know when I was going to bowl or at which stage of the game so that sort of kept me alert in a way to do what I was expected to do and thank that Hattrick came along too yeah that's a great photo isn't it I know you've got it as your profile photo and we had it up as the cover photo the arms out the the aeroplane running across the pitch that was amazing and then for you to basically rescue the team against Kenya as well so you know if you had to pick a favourite performance in that event by you we got to make it about you which one was it? It's between the Kenya match and the Bermuda match, but I reckon the Kenya one was it for me. Um, I put myself in my shoes the last two, three tournaments that I've been to, and the feeling of not stepping over that one little bit, not qualifying, I just <laughs> have gone through it. So at six, when, what was it, 19 or something, after four overs, that's when I said to myself, I'm not going to let this happen. I'm just going to get my team to a defendable total. Not on my watch. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that's what makes that moment better than the hat trick I got against Bermuda. That feeling of knowing that you did it for your team and for your country, and how much the game was at stake and stuff compared to the Bermuda game. But taking nothing away from the Bermuda game, I think that performance sort of brought the best out of me in the um, games that came after that. So yeah. Now I think you know of your, your batting and how explosive and destructive it can be. The way that you bat, I think, could also lend itself to potentially opening the innings in in T20 cricket. And I guess I'm all, already preempting the answer to this. And you've got attacking batsmen the whole way through, especially someone like Tony up the top who goes just as hard and in similar zones to you over that sort of leg side and straight. Has there been any any chat of you moving up the order at all at any time? Um, actually, before this T20 work, us we sort of experiment a bit with me betting up the order and um, Tim Coyle was the one that suggested it to Joe that before the second qualifiers against Vanuatu and Philippines that I'd bet up the order and actually opened in all the games that I played and yeah I think the first two were pretty nerve-wracking and I think the last one the last one we played against Vanuatu there's a reduced match to I think 13 overs and they only managed 60 odd and yeah we passed the score in I think 3 overs it was Tony and I so yeah <laughs> I like how you say yeah, it's a bit nerve wracking opening innings because coming in at 5 for 16 in the 4th over um, <laughs> is you know, <laughs> you know that's my zone you know cool this is this is what I do <laughs> uh, I really thought about opening the betting but I think during the World Cup qualifier it's best that I do what I do best down the order or coming as a finisher in a way and yeah it worked out well for us knowing that we'd have the strike power at the end as well and having Asad and Tony at the top yeah absolutely it's almost like an insurance policy isn't it when you've got guys like that all through the order yeah it'd be different if you were lacking strike power but I can only imagine sometimes you, you're you're biting at the bit, you know, you're wanting to get out there and if you're not losing wickets, you're like, I, I know you'd never wish your team to lose wickets, but you're hoping they get out because you want to get out, you want to get out there to bat. <laughs> and I, I know good team spirit and whatnot, but still you want to feel bad on ball, don't you? Um, to be honest, that game, I didn't speak to Kipling, I don't know, the whole afternoon, I'd say. Because I just saw batsmen go in, walk out, go in, go out. And as you said, you'd always want your teammate to get out so you can get out and get back on ball. But not in that situation, no. I didn't really think of it that way. But And that's the funny thing about cricket being such an individual sport but played in a team. It's like, well, I'm, I'm here to bat. Do I want a wicket to fall? No, I don't, but I, I, I want to bat. Is it more significant, perhaps, that the World Cup that you guys have qualified for is in Australia? compared to other places around the world. I'm sure that a lot of you guys not only have played in Australia, but as close neighbours and friends, it, it almost makes it more special to you guys? Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, knowing that the World Cup's in Australia, wickets play in Australia, and similar to back home in PNG, and as you said, the wickets are fast and bouncy. So I think we can use that to our advantage in a way, because I'd say everyone in the bar has played the most competitive um, cricket outside of international cricket in Australia. So yeah, I think it's something we, we're actually really eager to do and can't wait for the World Cup to go ahead to show what we can do with conditions that we're very familiar to. And it's not spinning wicked, so we're happy. <laughs> well, one, one of the other, um, you did touch on the regional qualifier against Philippines and Vanuatu. And um, one thing I'm quite interested in is is Pacific cricket in general and, and just sort of at that level. Um, I remember following the, the sub-regionals in Fiji where you guys did really well and and also the Pacific Games where you know you came up against um, a lot of your neighbours in the region and, and even New Caledonia who aren't an ICC member you know what, what's it like down at that level and you know obviously PNG is sort of the big fish but is there a lot of uh, competition and, and rivalry down at sort of at the next level down? I'd say I play the most um, fun cricket every time when I play with the countries that are in a 
region. The level still has a long way to go. I'd say we have the upper end playing higher level of cricket, but when we play these teams, the passion and the way they go about playing cricket is it's unreal. And we hardly take any teams lightly when we play against them. And to play against a team that's, well, as you said, I'm New Caledonia. It is funny to play in a way where we didn't know what to expect or what level to play at, but we just carried on with our business knowing what we could do and what we could control. And yeah, just play the brand of cricket we know. And um, just on that idea of you know the standard at that level, has there ever been any ideas or any sort of chat about PNG changing to a different ICC region, maybe Asia, because obviously um, you do tend to win a lot at this region. But I think back to Australia, shifting to the Asian region in soccer to try and you know improve their performance, and has that sort of crossed your mind at all? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, we've been. Not we haven't really, really um thinking about it, but I'd say um to play higher level of um cricket anywhere and especially in the Asia um region, it actually would mean that we play against strong opposition as in Hong Kong uh rival and higher teams, Nepal to I don't know, eventually playing India and Sri Lanka and Pakistan. And that would obviously boost the way we play our cricket and um the way we think about cricket, but taking nothing away from our region, we love playing in this but I think there's a big gap between us and the next team that are coming through and for them to reach us I think it's just them playing higher level of cricket as we have been playing with um, international cricket as well and I think Vanuatu are not too far off I think they're a really good um, group of boys coming through and I think in the next few years they could be playing in the same level with us and as you said if they can get more and more um, strong opponents I think that will work well for them as well It's a bit of a double-edged sword isn't it because you know you're talking about playing better cricket but for the likes of Vanuatu Fiji for them playing better cricket is playing against you guys and, and to the flip side there's also that uh, dangling carrot of a guaranteed um, regional spot in the the under 19 World Cup as well that also means that that would also perhaps if you had a chance to move out of the region it'd be something to consider because having a comparatively weaker region where where it's more likely that PNG can go through with that single qualifier spot which I think, you know, we talk about this on the podcast a lot as to the effect of that. And what I think that means is it keeps the regions, especially EAP and Africa, investing in junior development cricket because you know that there's that spot there. So I think that if there's any ever a consideration, likewise from, from Japan as well, because I know they've been asked why they're not in Asia, but having the, you know, we know the story that went into Japan making it. It's not a great story, but it was great that Japan got to go and play in the World Cup. But I think that from a regional point of view, that's actually a positive of the effect that it has. Yeah, definitely. The, um, it's funny the way you said it, why Japan aren't playing in the Asia Cup but then they're part of the AP region I don't see a point to say that PNG could be playing in the Asia Cup as well but yeah it's a tricky one to answer like don't want to be too disrespectful or anything to anyone but yeah I think it's just finding that good level of cricket where you know you can excel and continuously play good level of cricket and yeah um, with Vanuatu also wanted to play good level I reckon they should be playing a lot more cricket with us because um, the last few times we've played with them in ODIs and T20s it's been pretty competitive so yeah they're not too far off I think we just need to expose them to better better cricket in a way and I like the fact that most of them play their cricket in Australia so it's a good step forward and it's done well for us in PNG as well so yeah it's also how the T20 World Cup quality qualification structure changes in the future and whether you have a truly regional qualification 
uh, well, we could include the Olympics in there as well if that, if that happens, and whether the full members would be included in the regional qualifiers. And I can imagine the chance of playing against brothers and so close in Australia and New Zealand. I, I bring it up all too often, but I have this kind of dream in my mind's eye of Australia versus PNG at a packed out North Sydney Oval or something along those lines. And of course, PNG wins, but just the <laughs> spectacle that could be for the game. I'm just thinking of uh, Norman clearing the front leg and, and smashing it. Last ball of the innings. Winning the game with the six into the fig tree at North Sydney. There we go. When it happens, you heard it here first. <laughs> uh, actually, I've been I've been thinking about it ever since we qualified for the World Cup of us playing Australia in the final and coming down to the last ball. And there's always two scenarios where I'm bowling a bat, and <laughs> it's it's always fun. The Ice Man just wants to be in the thick of it. Now we've got to think about this because you can't have you know the additional bat sponsor in a World Cup. So this probably means that emerging cricket needs to sign on as PNG's major sponsor. So they will have uh, emerging cricket on the front sleeve, on the left sleeve. So if we're talking about what will be great for all of us, it'll be you batting because the shot will be you swinging through and emerging cricket on that front left arm. So that sounds good to me. One thing I have noticed you guys when you when you've rocked up to to a ground, there's the red blazer, the red jacket. I've seen a couple of guys wear it. I've seen Simon Atai wear it multiple times. I'm a victim of it as well. <laughs> what is the significance of, of the jacket? What, what does it mean and, and how do you determine who, who wears it? <laughs> it's got to be on the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> it pretty much signifies the idiot of the team pretty much. So it's like a don- we call it a donkey shirt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We've got a similar one. So it's you know, say someone makes a, a, a silly mistake at training or they say something dumb they take they take the shirt it's a similar thing it's to send the most dumbest things to doing the most dumbest things or anything that pretty much stupid <laughs> and yeah um you get pinned on the most oh, i don't know the most ridiculous little things something like um asa living his box in his room or something like that you can get pinned for that <laughs> <laughs> well and rightfully so i think i think it's worth it <laughs> well you think it's worth it so you're thinking like the uh genius yeah i know but you're like you've got the build of a movie star you know like five foot five and and, you know, you've got the bone structure bed, so of course you want the uh, the red blazer. Five foot five, wow. Five eleven, thank you. <laughs> Tim, just because you're just because you're seven foot eight doesn't make everyone five foot nothing. Oh my god, where are these clown shoes you got? You spend so much time together playing cricket. I, I love that. But Norman, there's one last question before I let Bez wrap up. We've started asking the same question to every guest that comes on the show. Cricket is a is a game of history, but more importantly, it's a game of laws. If you could change any of the laws of the game, what would it be and, and why? Ooh, that's a good one, actually. Um, I'll probably get rid of spinners because I think they got it easy. <laughs> ah, yes! That's the best answer we've had. No! <laughs> Tim Cut was crying. <laughs> I know they categorize as bowlers, but uh, I don't think they do what fast bowlers do. Fast bowlers, uh, they do it tough. And then these guys just walk in with two steps and then bowl the ball and pick up 700 rookies. So Shane, what did? So. Uh, <laughs> I'm calling the bank. That $1 million payment as ambassador of emerging cricket cancelled. Amazing. I'm all, I'm all for it. Bez, did you, did you tell him to say that? Like, have you- <laughs> no, I wish I did, though. That's genius. <laughs> well... Oh God! I, I I want to say it's great to have you on the show, but you've just <laughs> poor old Tim is traumatized. <laughs> I, I I'll happily pick up that baton for you, uh, Tim. Yeah, you've, I'll I'll let you go. It's just, it's just been sullied. Norman, as one of uh, the emerging cricket ambassadors, first of all, thank you uh, for being one of our ambassadors, but also thank you for for joining us on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. It's been excellent to get your insight into your part of the world in cricket's new world. Wish you all the best. Hopefully, this this World Cup comes to fruition and we get to see you guys 
stars on the world stage but congratulations on a largely really good last 12 to 18 months yeah it's just great to watch and and once again thank you for joining us on the pod thanks very much um it's something where promoting cricket is pretty good for me so when team asked me if i wanted to be an ambassador i just automatically said yes i'd love to do that just to promote our region and imagine cricket around the world great answer yeah see i even got name checked Well, what a magnificent chat that was, and we hope all of Norman's emotions came across to all of you listening. As we said at the top of the pod, don't forget to subscribe to the Emerging Cricket Podcast, pass the pod around, and give us a five-star review. Want to support us financially? Go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Emerging Cricket, where you can support us from as little as $2 US a month. In the meantime, from all of us here at Emerging Cricket, enjoy the rest of your day wherever you are around the cricketing world.